0: Where are you, by the way? Are you, are you in Ireland or the UK? Or yeah, I'm back in Ireland. I, I could kind of tell by the blinds there. There was a, the, the scalloped edge on <laughs> the blind kind of said, it's a mammy's house
1: there rather than your That's own. That's a mammy Nolan aesthetic. It is, it is yeah. yeah, and there's, um, outside my window, you can't see now, but there's a flower bed and there's two little robins who live in the bush there. Oh, very nice. They keep me company while I work during the day. And I've named one of them Donal.
0: <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. That's lovely.
1: What have you named the other one? I named the other one Donal as well
0: probably easier <laughs> just you know, having to really look at They're which ones that's nice that's nice thank yeah. you I feel doubly uh, privileged Donald is adorable the other guy's an asshole though. and
1: he's and the other Donald's an absolute prick <laughs> so I felt felt happy
0: our semester ended today so I'm uh, very happy to oh, be oh hooray there. At the other side, and it did for Steve too, because he's in the School of Communications now as well. So,
2: <gasps>
1: yeah. How does that, um, no, what's this, the power dynamic? How does that feel?
0: I'm actually lecturing him next semester. That's, it's going to be weird then. Oh, so, man. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's going to be strange. You'll have lectured both of them. Yeah. All I'll of
0: that. Um, it'll be a cooler lecture he'll get uh, than the old rubbish that you got. Than
1: the, <laughs> the shit you gave me. <laughs> yeah.
2: He wasn't even a doctor
0: back that's then. That's true. No. Yeah, I saved all the good stuff for uh, yeah, he's for a... data communications. Yeah. Mm. Fucking hell. No, yeah, Donald was drunk for most of my
1: lectures. Cheers. He modelled himself on the bill from
0: Matilda. <laughs> well, those pigtails you had were just asking for me to spin you around. I mean, I, you can't just have <laughs> hair like that and expect it not to happen. You know, that's... He left me in the chokey for a bank holiday weekend. It was awful.
1: <laughs> we spent all of rag week in the chokey. <laughs> Cheers, lads. Cheers you too. Um, let's see. Just take a. So, Robin named Donald, rag week in the chokey. <laughs> That's pretty much the intro done, I think. Perfect. Great. Welcome back, Donald. Thank you very much. Sorry, I should wait for you to finish drinking
0: from your wine before I started the small talk.
1: (laughs) Really? But then again, you're always (laughs) drinking wine, so I don't know when I'd get
0: the chance. Exactly, it is tough. It's tough to fit it in between my wine drinking. Um, But no, it's it's really... uh, I was going to say it's exciting to be back. Is it? (laughs) Because not because of you. It's lovely to be with you, but it's also like the it casts into sharp relief the kind of pleasant pre-COVID times that we've done this before. So like all of our previous recordings have been in in person and have been at a much less restrictive point. And so there's a I don't know. Everything's it's also it's winter and it's gloomy. So the same gloom has just drawn a curtain over everything these days. It's very sad. Yeah.
2: Wow. This episode is really going up to be a, a happy,
0: a lighthearted one. Can't wait. The wine will counter it out. By, by the middle, I think we'll really hit our strides.
1: That's fine. For, for new listeners, Donald is our most seasoned, our most tenured uh, guest on the show with a, a whopping, I don't know, 48
0: appearances at this point. <laughs> what is it, Donald? Uh, is this the fourth? I think it's the fourth. Fifth? Yeah. It's, I, I, I'm not sure. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, usually
1: it's to talk about. Eurovision.
0: I mean, that that is part of the gloom that's in my life is the absence of that this year. I mean, like.
1: Uh So that's the first thing we want to talk to you about, because usually we do a a kind of Eurovision roundup every year and it's great fun and it's the highlight of our respective years. But we didn't get that this year. But seeing as we have you on to talk about a different subject, I thought we could very quickly start off by just checking in on the Eurovision. Oh, that's lovely. What are the implications of it not being on? What is there? Is it happening next year? Is it going to be bigger next year? What's going to change? And specifically. Um, at the time of recording this, it's looking like it's going to be a no-deal Brexit. Mm. And I, I want to know specifically, what, if any, will the effects of a no-deal Brexit be for the UK in relation to Eurovision?
0: Yeah, but, oh, well, okay, loads of things there. Uh, no-deal Brexit, probably very little for Eurovision because, I mean, you know, we're already throwing Azerbaijan in there. So connection to the EU is not really any <laughs> central requirement. But it's, it's But even just like perception and tone... Yeah, that, that's been there we, a while. We also so don't vote for them either. Yeah, there, there's—I mean, there, of course not. But there's there's a. I guess, kind of undercurrent of Brexit stuff that's been tagged onto them for the last few years anyway. In it. So, you know, there's there's always been this thing of, and I think I've done it myself uh, on previous talks about Eurovision that we had, you know, that, that idea of people wanting to read into their Eurovision entry, a secret desire to heal their relationship with the EU and, you know, like people are, look for anything to hold on to because it's so freaking miserable at the moment, the, the relations, mm-hmm. especially between Ireland and the, the UK, was between the EU and the UK generally. Um, Oh, there's a, a dog coming in there. Is that, is that Herc?
2: Yeah, that's Herc. Yeah, I don't know why he's barking. Sorry. Dude,
0: like, will I restart that bit? Or does it, no, does, no, it's fine. It doesn't fine. matter. Okay, great. This, this is what we call charm. Herc, shut <laughs> up! And mild animal abuse, you know, whatever's in there. But, it's the um,
1: rustic vibes you get from a homely, homemade podcast. You don't get this with the big, your big radio labs. That's true. Herc, put down those slippers! Ira Glass very
0: rarely yells at animals in his eyes. <laughs> And if he did, there'd be far more exotic animals. I feel he's just on a different level entirely. There, it would be a zebra in a top hat or something. Anyway, going back to your rhythm,
2: Mr. Ed Dieter, put down that baguette.
0: Um, the yeah, I, I look. It's 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 really sad. It was it was annoying that it didn't happen. They they put on a different show this year that was a kind of a um you know, it, it was called Europe Shine a Light. It was a retrospective-y kind of thing. They had to do it at fairly short notice, so it was not super amazing. It was nice. It was, there was a, a kind of, you know, nice vibe to it because we're still in that early part of the lockdown at that point where, you know, we were only weeks into it rather than months. And, you know, there was still... Do
1: you think if it were to happen like a few months later, if the Eurovision mm-hmm. were scheduled a few months later, they would have rallied and pivoted to in the same way like award ceremonies went out, like yeah. the EMAs went all yeah. online and stuff. They would have done something like that. I
0: do. Yeah. I, I mean, there was even talk about that at the time. I, I thought it would already have gone that way, but that, that's what I mean. I think we were... we're still in such an uncertain phase at the time that they just were, you know, not quite into the, the planning to the degree that they could pull that off. But it had already, and we talked about this, I think the last year that we were discussing it, it's more and more of the video production has come into it now. So it's much less about the live show in many ways. And there's a lot of kind of post-production happening on a live feed, weirdly. So, you mm-hmm. know, there's Australia a few years ago had a. A very famous example where they had women on these huge kind of like pole pendulous poles that went over and back, kind of like the Mad Max cars in the in Fury Road, and uh, they digitally inserted them into a kind of space scene beside, behind them. So like it, it looked nothing like it looked on stage. It, you know they were they were in a kind of fully post rendered thing with a, a backdrop mm-hmm. and everything. So you're already leading into, you know, full on music videos at that stage anyway. So I think it's possible. And certainly if it happens next year, it is it is going ahead next year in some form. And I'm sure if there is still restrictions, hopefully not to the degree we have now, but if there is still some, it'll probably go like that. It'll be more, there will be voting, there will be songs and it'll be more video based, I think.
2: Do you resent the digitalization and technology? Do, Would you yeah. prefer a lady standing beside a stool just singing like the good old days? Yeah.
0: I mean, yeah, <laughs> there's, there's limits. To this. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm probably the equivalent of uh, whatever point in the, the 90s when they got rid of the live orchestra that there had to be before there were backing tracks. I'm sure there's people <laughs> the equivalent to me saying how dare they make this change and I'm sure it's the same now but um, I think there was something to the live thing. I think the more you insert that stuff because it is so much about the showmanship too you really are handing over a lot of the um, the chance to win away from the song and onto the visuals, you know. So, I mean, that's still there to a degree because they have a lot of choice in their staging and all that sort of thing. And, you know, definitely the countries who have thrown loads of money at their staging have, have done better out of that. But if it totally became a video-based thing, then, you know, it's 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 a different kind of competition, I guess, at that point, isn't it? Isn't
1: it? Is it the Hatsune Miku, that entirely holographic Japanese pop star? Do you think he will get to a point where your Vision is
0: entirely holographic. There were holographic wolves a few years ago, uh, so the, the oh. holograms have already. Uh, Eamon Ryan, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, I, I can't, was it, uh, it was Estonia or it was a Baltic country, or maybe, maybe it was Lithuania, and they they did, yeah, a, a thing where there were wolves howling on stage that were holographically added in. So, there's, I mean, there's already gimmicks galore, of course, that's half the, the fun of it, but if it mm. went totally digital and totally video and it kind of left what, you know, some live element out completely, I think it would be the lesser thing for it. Like half the fun is that things kind of do go wrong and there are stage invasions and there are costume malfunctions. And yeah.
1: I think if you are, you can have CGI stuff to augment, but you have to have at least one real world parallel. So if you have CGI walls, one of them has to be at least real. <laughs> In a sort of and hideous that, Russian think.
0: roulette of wolves, I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah, <laughs>
1: so you're so, you're getting the production values, yeah, which yeah. is great, but you're also getting that element of danger,
0: that little spice, which is what people watch Eurovision for—to see someone Wolf potentially novels. be savaged as part of. Yeah, uh, yeah. you hope not. Well, but they, if it
2: happens, they get savaged by by the by the crowd.
0: They anyway. do actually do. Well, yeah, it's a different kind of Twitter <laughs> savaging in that the case. Graham. I guess in Graham Norton, especially. Yeah, but I'm. Um, yeah, no, it's it, it. was an absence this year, but it's it's it'll happen again. It'll it'll come back. The, the one thing that I think is worth mentioning, and, and I'm glad that you're featuring it a bit, is that all of the songs that were picked for this year, and I think one of them, the one that would have won the, the Icelandic one, you probably heard, and it did become famous anyway, um, they're all out. They can't re-enter those same songs next year. So so there, <gasps> there's a, a load of stuff that will never be heard. Effectively, you know, there, there were Icelandic one, great. Lots of people heard it. And I think it's a really really good song, but there is you know, as there usually is, five other phenomenal ones that just will never get the same airplay. And I think that's a bit sad. And, uh, yeah, so it's, some of the artists are coming back. They're, they're, they're doing that a little bit, but it's a pity to me. Anyone's in particular you want to shout out that people should listen to? Oh, Malta. Malta, definitely. I mean, there's, there's a few that are, you know, achieve some level of fame, but that received really nothing because it's Malta and who listens to the Maltese entry if you're not a weirder like me, but, uh, it was a brilliant, brilliant song. I think they're, they're kindly bringing the same artists back again. So Iceland are doing that too. Daddy Freyr, the, the Icelandic entry is coming back. And uh, the multi singer was a, a artist called Destiny and she's coming back with, albeit with a different song, but she had such a great, like just banger dance song this year that would have been kind of like that, that Fuego song from a few years ago. I think it would have built up a bit of momentum in the semifinals and people would have really liked it. And yeah, it was, it was my top pick that wasn't Iceland basically this year and it's it's sad that she didn't get a bit of coverage we'll play you a little bit of it now do
1: Uh, Steve, we need to quickly plug one of our fellow pod pod brethren.
2: Absolutely. Well, I say need
1: to, we want to. We, w-
2: <laughs> we will, <laughs> happily, we will, without we will. Um, being forced to or insisted upon. We will.
1: Donald, you remember Father Ted? Of course. That little show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you remember Father Damo? I do. Yeah, so Blue Father Ro- Damo. <laughs> Blur Oasis, that famous line. Mm-hmm. Uh So the actor who played uh, Father Damo, uh, Joe Rooney, is a member of the Heads of Podcast Network and he has his own podcast.
0: Has been for oh, a long yeah. time. It's actually a really long running podcast.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I saw him do stand-up before. He's great, actually. I, I, years ago. Yeah. But yeah, really, really good. Yeah. He's in one of Ireland's or er, Ireland's longest running improv
1: troupe as well, which is pretty cool. Mm. Yeah, so very funny guy um, and he's got his own podcast on the network. And if this isn't enough of a sales pitch, maybe this ad will sell it for you.
0: Hello, Joe Rooney here. Back in 2015, I recorded my first Potter Rooney, And since then, I've been chatting to people that I meet throughout my travels here and there all over the world, including Sean Locke, Mary Coughlin, Frank Kelly, Joanne McAnally, Owen Colgan, Shazia Merza, Aidan Gillen and Cotja Reardon. But loads of people you'd never heard of who have very interesting tales to tell, including the sadly no longer with us Boston based comedian Barry Crimmins, who led a crusade against images of child abuse on the Internet. Tracy Carroll, whose daughter Willow has the highest grade of cerebral palsy, Drogheda Homeless aide. Christine Volsert, a Norwegian singer-documentary maker who ended up hanging out with the young lads in Nursery city Dublin and riding bareback on a horse through the city streets. All these very interesting tales to tell and all you have to do is skip the first six minutes of me talking rubbish. That's... Pat-a-roni. Uh
1: Dodal, Steve and I, as we are often wanted to do, uh, the other day, we were in our front lounge, sipping on brandy and smoking fine cigars and discussing very erudite academic, academic things, <laughs> as I'm sure you can understand as a fellow uh, a PhD Absolutely, holder. Absolutely, yeah.
0: Just like, okay. Um, With social distancing and, and things like that, I'm sure, going on. So No, we don't
2: you? need to do that. We live in our castle. so it's fine. Oh, it's a
0: single bubble. It's a bubble home. Very
1: mm-hmm. nice. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, Teflon everything. We are, we are, we are COVID proof. And we were just talking about, you know, smart people stuff, mm-hmm. much like you do when you're election 100%. and whatnot. And one of the things we were discussing is, um, uh, you just know we're coming up to the, to the Christmas season. Video games are very big this year with, with the pandemic and everyone's staying indoors. And we we're talking about, you know, the most influential video game characters. And we came upon the question of, um, uh, Mario, Super Mario, which is his full title. Um, is he a, is he a communist?
0: What because are you basically with?
1: We uh well, you know, he's 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 lives in a kingdom, the Mushroom Kingdom, mm-hmm. under the oppressive thumb of Princess Peach and whatever other, you know, figures of the monarchy mm-hmm. exist there. And it, you know, it's a colonial world. We've seen when you play Mario games, there's lots of different worlds, and the Mushroom Kingdom has a has a their hand in each. Mm-hmm. Uh and Mario is basically an indentured servant of the monarchy there. He's constantly Having to clean up their mess and rescue different members of their 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 family for very little to no remuneration. Yeah, Um, he's having to scrape by using
0: toadstools a lot of the time. Uh, That's it.
1: He's a plumber. He's the definition of a working class. He's a proletariat. But he he literally has Stalin's mustache. Doesn't he? Literally walk around collecting coins. He does, but also Steve that. He dies constantly and is brought back to life through some sort of dark magic involving mushrooms. So mm. yeah, sure. He gets some
0: coins and some stars, but what mm. price is that to I pay remember for?
2: remember that chapter three of the Communist Manifesto specifically talks about being brought to life The constantly.
0: coins are, are, are short-lived as well, isn't there? There's probably a, a deep symbolic value to the fact that, you know, even if he gets the coin, it doesn't really last. You know, he, it's, it's worth so little to him in the long run. He still has to toil and toil away with his Stalin moustache. So yeah, you're probably right. I think there's a thesis there. And he wears a red hat.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah. And and I think, yeah, he wears a red hat. Exactly. And I think as the games go on, the you know, he's going to get more and more f- frustrated with his lot in life and he is going to ri- like form some sort of, you know, communist rising. And maybe the next game is going to be super Marxism 64. <laughs> <laughs> but again, this very, very erudite and smart person conversation that we were having, um, just got us thinking about video games as a whole and like their, you know, the confluence of video games and politics. Mm-hmm. And so we thought we'd reach out to our other smart person friend, uh, also erudite, smokes lots of cigars, drinks lots of brandy from the fireplaces. You know the story, you've done it yourself. Uh, Donal, um, and just get your opinion and your thoughts on the role of video games and politics.
0: I was really excited when you did this because, I mean, mostly this immediately brought to mind the same thing that it did for, for Steve, after his his Mario conversation, obviously, which was Alpha Centauri and uh, this the game Woo-hoo! that we're both massive fans of, but yeah, there, there's a there's a big thing here, and I'm sure there's PhDs galore written about it. I, just, I didn't bother looking them up before today, which I probably should have. I now realise, <laughs> uh, but uh, g- the study of games is is definitely a, a whole field of itself, and there's a lot of games where direct representation of politics itself and the process of it are there. There's a lot of games where there's kind of allusions to it or to like concepts from it. There's a lot of politicization of games. I mean, there's tons here. It's it's, now that you mention it, surprisingly, you didn't do this far earlier. And really, if anything, it's it's poorly reflecting on you that this was not a subject of podcast number three.
1: We kept trying to bring you in to do it, but you just kept talking about camp songs. (laughs) We would throw out our notes at the start of every recording session. (laughs)
0: It's been difficult. It's been difficult, but we'll we'll yeah. move past that and talk about these things because yeah, I think I think this is a great topic. I'm, I'm really happy that you picked it, and I think there's yeah there's some some good examples to to look at, and I've I've made a tiny list of some, but I'll, I'll let you I'll lead us with the ones but you yeah. think you want to talk about first.
2: Before we start talking about the games that get it right, let's talk about the games that get it very wrong. Mm. Um, so there's a couple of games, mostly PC games, that try to tackle. When you say, now, hold
1: on, hold on. When you say PC games, do you mean personal computer games or politically correct games? <laughs> I mean, um, I mean PC, PC games, <laughs> yeah. politically correct personal computer games. There are some of those. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, you
2: got shot by a nun for bringing in abortion in the game when we played this game, the one in particular I'm talking about. So I don't know how PC it is, but it is on the PC. Mm-hmm. Um, Democracy 3, so mm-hmm. it tries to actually simulate what it's like to work as a political operative in a in a country. Yeah. And it's just so fucking boring. It's Business, awful. Yeah, yeah. It's really bad. Yeah, I, I mean I, We were shit faced and we had a good time. That was about it. But yeah, like if you try if you play it sober.
1: Yeah, if you are if you ever donated to our Ko-Fi at any point, um, you will have received the bonus edition of our podcast that we recorded ages ago where I got Steve and I got shit faced drunk and I tried to run a country mm-hmm. and I got assassinated by nuns for trying to introduce abortion. Uh and even then, while well, shit faced drunk, I don't think i I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> <So> <laughs> it's, it's, I enjoyed her, like hanging out with you, Steve. But the actual game itself was kind of hot garbage. It
0: is, yeah. yeah. That whole series is, I think. I mean, I've, I've played two out of the. I think it's on edition four now. Is it Democracy Four? Is the latest? I, I, yeah. I played three and I gave it a really good chance, and I came back to it a few times. But God, it's it's it's, it's, it's tries a little too hard to be directly representative of some political process of of you know trying to talk about factions that there would be in policymaking and stuff like that, but it doesn't do any of that well. So it ends up effectively being a kind of numbers puzzle where you have to balance things out as quickly as possible. And you have to, you know, destroy the motorist lobby to make room for the bicycle lobby. And you have to, you know, (laughs) well, that's what I do in my very green game that I played, but (laughs) you have to basically pick your agenda and get rid of the voters you don't want and pick up the ones you do. And it's... I don't know, no part of it felt really consequential. I, I, I gave it a go too, and, and much like yourselves, I found it super boring. But I think that's a problem maybe with some very direct attempts to to bring politics into games. I think that there's there's a few that that can do that well. There's another rubbish one I played that I thought was really exciting when they briefed on it first, and when they, they kind of showed the initial um, you know, trailers and so forth. I think it was called Urban Empire. And it was a kind of like mix of Sim City with oh, policy yeah. stuff. <laughs> And I was like, perfect, because I, you know, love SimCity and city building games, and also my giant nerd who likes politics and policies. I was like, this is going to be fantastic, and it was exactly the same. It was like a shite version of SimCity with a shite version of Democracy Three thrown onto it, and none, none of it felt connected, none of it felt consequential, and, and it ended up just being a kind of boring chore, much like uh, Democracy Three was. And I think there is a, a limit to. Ways in which you can very directly model that sort of stuff. There's there's some games that that take a tongue in cheek version, like Tropico, for example, the one where you kind of run a little banana republic, and that's great because you have the jovial side and you have other elements to it. it the sole focus is not you know counting votes and policy or whatever, so it's it's much more interesting. Um, and then there's there's lots of other ones where you know, they're highly political in nature, but it is a secondary component to some other goal that you have or whatever. And I think that works far better. Would
2: that be why, you, you, like, do you think, is that why Like, games like City Skylines or even The Sims that probably could be very political and like, it's almost like they're just like not turning left to look at all mm-hmm. the politics. They're just sitting forward, concentrating on making a game rather than thinking about, oh, I'm building a city. Do I have to worry about poor people? No, not really. It doesn't matter. I'm just looking at crime stats generically yeah. as opposed to actually thinking about it. Like if you were playing that game, you would never think that there was any politics involved in running a city whatsoever. Absolutely, yeah. And I guess yeah. it's just because it's it's not a good game element. Yeah, I it's just I, that
1: the mechanics, like the real life mechanics of politics are so complex and so vast that as soon as you try and associate individual, like you transpose that onto the gaming experience, there's just too many... Like If it's a spreadsheet, there's just too many columns and rows of all of the different things and there's no way of mapping it one-to-one. And that's what these games are trying to do.
0: Possibly, yeah. I mean, there's there's some that do do it. I mean, there's, there's a few, a small few that do it well. My husband is currently playing a game called Suzerain that came out recently and it's it is just explicitly a political game, but it's it's a kind of narrative game. So it's it's really text heavy and it's just a lot of reading more than anything else, but it's it's kind of more a... Choose your own adventure through the development of an early stage of a company. I was going to say, is he so,
1: reading? Is he reading a choose your own adventure goosebumps book or something? Pretty much, but say. it's set
0: in a sort of like vaguely that's, Eastern European country in the Cold War. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's
2: a new genre of game: the visual novel game. Yeah, but they're yeah. not. They're not. I, I, I don't like them. They're not good games. It's not the kind of thing that you're going to see on a A release no, on the PS5, no. you know? Yeah,
0: you know, but they, they're they're trying. I mean, that's the first one like that that I saw that was as overtly political as that. I mean, that was about like charting the early course of a nation in the mid-1900s, you know, so there, it, there are games that are trying to fit in that space of being just overtly about politics and nothing else. Um, but maybe that's a better way of doing it. Maybe narrative is the way to do that rather than trying to set up game mechanics that, that kind of somehow represent... The different factions you have to keep happy to bring in a new roads policy or whatever it is. That just ultimately mm-hmm. there is a lot of just very boring stuff to that. That's hard to gamify, and <laughs> that's why we pay civil servants and politicians exactly, to do it. Exactly, yeah. And I think there's like although the,
2: football f- footballers get paid to do that, but they like it anyway. never mind.
0: The, the interesting ones are, are like there's there's lots of games that have hugely political components to them, but they're just set at other time periods. I mean, there's a paradox. The the studio produce a whole lot of grand strategy games, which I'm a huge fan of. I mean, my hours on Steam are very heavily stacked towards a game called Europa Universalis IV, which is, you know, kind of uh, set from 1444 onwards, kind of charting world history. And you start off as any nation in the world and kind of, you know, go and colonize and, you know, move through the renaissance and all this kind of stuff. And it's it's very political. It's you know there's a lot a lot of components about diplomacy and and alliances and that kind of thing in it. But it isn't the kind of politics that's quotidian, boring, everyday policy stuff. It's it's you know it's grander than yeah. that, and that's interesting.
2: How many how many times have you conquered England as Ireland?
0: Oh my God, many. It was very excited I did that when I did it the first time. It's quite there's an achievement actually for it called Look of the Irish. <laughs> uh, I was very proud to get that one. It was great. Yeah. Um, it's it's funny that the same company make uh, an earlier set one called Crusader Kings three and Crusader Kings two and one that, um, and it's you know, it's set during the Crusades obviously and uh, it, Ireland is regarded as tutorial island in that because it's kind of in, <laughs> in that period it's much more disconnected from everything so you can start as some like little you know the the Count of Mayo or whatever and gradually build up your oh. stuff without really having to worry about all the machinations of Europe so uh, it's it's always referred to as tutorial island oh. which I really like.
1: I figure I would start as the Count of Mayo and just like be so content in that role that I wouldn't ever achieve anything more. I wouldn't lock any other. I'd just be happy enough as the Count of Mayo.
2: (laughs) 60 euros, so well spent there. (laughs) Hey,
0: I'm a simple man
2: with simple needs. I just pressed next turn for five hours.
0: There's a a really interesting thing, actually. That's where, I mean, it's a slight uh, tangent of this, but it's worth mentioning with, with the Crusader Kings series is that... That game has become hugely politicized itself because one of the things that people have done with it, and by people I mean horrible alt-right arseholes, have done with it is to use it to kind of play out their fantasies of reholding the Crusades, destroying the Islamic world, you know, like bringing Odin-based Norse religion in and, and you know, wiping out everything in a, a kind of a blitz that comes from you know, North Germany and Scandinavia and just, Jesus. you know, kills all black people and this kind of stuff. It's just, you know, you can use a game as a vehicle to play at these kind of bizarre, you know, revisionist history fantasies. And so for that reason, uh, there was a while where I really love that game. I think it's great. Not for that reason, but there was a while where I was like embarrassed at having that on my steam, lest people think that I'm yeah. spending my time doing this. And so you do get that sort of thing sometimes where uh, unexpected uses like that allow people to role-play weird political fantasies that they have about rebuilding the world differently. And some of those fantasies... Or conquering are not England,
2: which is totally fine, though
0: yeah I mean I did that in a loving way I would say and uh, they were the for it <laughs> his tongue was firmly in his cheek when he did that Steve it's very different it
2: was so what, what about games that, that get it right really well um, I think Papers Please is the one that you want to give a good shout mm-hmm. out to
0: yeah yeah a Papers Please does a really specific thing there's um, yeah th- there's another one that I'll mention a minute that's very similar but it's a, again a kind of narrative game I suppose mostly so it's very text heavy it's, a, it's an indie game that came out a few years ago and you play a in a fictional Eastern European In country during the kind of Soviet era, a border guard, essentially, whose job it is to you know ask for people's papers and let them in across the border and not across the border, and it starts off as a sort of like puzzle game where you're checking you know does the thing that they say that they're doing match their their passport or whatever, and so it's a very kind of basic game in that way, and you have a a target to hit every day, and then gradually it builds up to where that your your targets get harder and harder to hit, and if you don't hit them, then your family are suffering and you're not getting enough food (gasps) and whatever, and there's you know people trying to corrupt you and, and all this sort of stuff, and it's a fantastic game to. Teach you how corruption happens. It, it does the, like it's. It's really fun to play, but it also has a, a huge kind of moral weight to it. Where very quickly, you know, playthrough of that game, you realize exactly why bureaucratic people in these kind of positions, who have these kind of targets to meet, will become quickly corrupt in their jobs, and you you get a good understanding of the kind of pressures that people might live under in those kind of situations. I think it's it's great for that. It's, it's a really hard thing to do that in any form, even, you know, in, in film or whatever. So for a game to give you that kind of insight, I think is really interesting.
2: You brought that up in the last episode about corruption, Richie, actually, about how, um, you know, border guards and example in Africa and stuff like that, that you know, yeah. anecdotes from people coming back. Mm. It's bas- it's a simulation oh. of being in that situation.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah, of like, you're not the person establishing the policies that lead to the, like facilitating the corruption. It's yeah. like you're just a person on the ground who's trying to make do with the best, to make the best yeah. of a bad situation. And of course, you're going to make decisions that from the outside would seem, you know, by someone else suspect. But, you know, there's a context there that's very nuanced and hard to hit. But that's the beauty of video games is that it's a, active media mm. like ins- instead of a passive media yeah. of sitting down and watching something play in front of you you're actively ta- making decisions and taking part in something and investing yourself in the narrative and in the gameplay mm. um so that it when something hits it can hit has a potential to hit a lot harder and that's one thing that indie game studios are very very good at Um it's where you'll see a lot of the emergent kind of more outside the box art happening
0: yeah.
1: Um, yeah. big studios where a lot of the major game development happens tend to be beholden to, you know, figures and trying to make certain sales and trying to, you know, please lowest common yeah, denominator. Yeah. So they end up being very average. Uh, I remember going to, I think it was at the v in London, a uh, video games exhibition, and a lot of it was about how video games are just a wasted, a somewhat wasted art form in its current version, how mainstream games in particular... The, your mo- main method of interacting with the world around you is a gun
0: yeah, and that's yeah.
1: because for a bunch of reasons but mechanically you have a gun which is a thing that sits in the centre of your screen there's a crosshair that allows you to navigate with a mouse yeah. or a joystick whatever and you press a button and you have a projectile that interacts with the world around you and we've just kind of built and built and built on that being reemphasized by our you know our love of conflict and our love of war and that kind of thing mm-hmm. but why can't we have video games where the main mechanic is like trying to hold someone's hand and trying to like, that's the ultimate achievement is trying try and like hold someone's hand and not have them pull it away or, you know, you're an old person trying to make your way across an icy path and sit down on the park bench to feed some ducks. Like, how do you turn that into something so that gets across like that, a game? That's kind, emotion, of that kind of happening now. I,
0: I think that there's, there's a, a brilliant thing that has happened recently and I'm, I'm you know, my day job when I'm not either sipping my brandy or chatting to you is, is lecturing on a media production program. And, and uh, mm. you know, our own students are building those things now because the, the bar to be able to build your own game has just come down so far in in, the, in terms of accessibility now. So you're getting small groups of people who, if they want to build that game, can do it in, in Unity or these other platforms really, mm. really easily. And so you see... My final year project was a game that you graded. I remember it was an excellent game. It was really, very good. Uh, not not didn't quite say. have the moral weight of uh, of papers, please. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you, I
1: guess you didn't uh, read the the supplementary material where we said what type of people <laughs> were living aboard those spaceships that were blowing up.
0: <laughs> oh, there, was, there was actual, tragic a mystery, stories, sorry. a lot of them. <laughs> but it's, I mean, the that, the fact that you can if you have like a a good narrative agenda do that is, is brilliant, and you know you're getting those kind of games like like Papers, Please. The, the other one that I wanted to mention, and it's exactly this situation, is one called This War of Mine, and it's it's about five or more years old now. But it was developed by people I think in Bosnia who had lived through the war there, and they wanted to make the same kind of point that Papers, Please does. I suppose that. If you're living in a war situation, your morality is different. Like it should not be the case that you're you're thinking about things the same way anymore. It's about survival, and you make choices you would never, you know, make in good conscience in any other circumstance. And that game brilliantly teaches you that because, much like Papers, mm-hmm. Please, you start off being able to get by, and then you have to make harder and harder decisions about who you, who's going to live and die, and who's how you're going to support yourself, and whether you'll, you know, commit crimes in order to get the food you need to keep the character alive and this sort of stuff. And it's, I mean, it was highly praised and, and won loads of awards for that, but it is. You know, it's it's great that we live at a time when that kind of medium can be used by people who want to make that sort of stuff rather than the stuff that you're you're talking about where, you know, only AAA game studios are, are producing it and they're having to do it for, you know, the the greatest possible amount of people and it's just a pretty mm-hmm. mundane, shooty thing. Mm-hmm.
2: That's actually a game we're trying out as well. Um This War of Mine, I think if I'm not mistaken, there was a collaboration with UNICEF to do it a was, DLC yeah. specifically about child, yeah, yeah. Uh, child, children being involved in these situations. Yeah. So if you want to play a game that really immerses you in something beyond just pew-pew, yeah. there's mm. definitely one to- oh, it's a brilliant up. game, yeah. yeah I, I, I will also
1: to... shout out that uh, all of the games you mentioned will be linked in the show notes below if you want to check out more.
2: We don't get any money if you buy them, but you should, you know, buy them. <laughs> well, except for um, Urban
0: Empire and Democracy 3. <laughs> yeah, don't buy them. We won't even link those. Um,
2: before me and Donald nerd out over the best game ever and mm-hmm. created TM, uh, I think Richie should be given space now to talk about the thing that has taken up a lot of his previous year. Stand back, everybody.
1: <laughs> I've got notes. Uh, I'm <laughs> going to talk about my journey with Animal Crossing. I knew it would be
0: Animal Crossing. Uh, I was, I'm dying to hear the politics of Animal Crossing. This is going to be great.
1: It's, I went on a journey with Animal Crossing that mirrors my journey with politics and capitalism in real life. Uh, so to, to take, cast your mind back to March of this year, if you can, without too much trauma, um, an Animal Crossing, uh, a game by Nintendo, a, a chill ass life simulator, I would describe it as. I've mentioned the show before, uh, where you play as a little avatar version of yourself living on an island. It's all very twee and quaint and lovely. Um, this game got released almost perfectly, almost suspiciously with the uh, announcement <laughs> of, of lockdown. Um, it perfectly timed up with the pandemic. Uh, so there's, you could, I bet you, you could chart the upward trajectory of this game's popularity, which was huge. It sold like 13 million copies. That trajectory almost perfectly maps onto the inverse. It's like an inverse trajectory of the downward slope of the world's economy yeah. as everyone retreated indoors, couldn't do the things they normally did. And instead transplanted their life onto this cutesy little animal crossing Island. So me personally, When this all started, like I didn't buy new clothes for ages, but my avatar in Animal Crossing, it was like fashion week every week for that guy. Uh, My income personally, Richie's real life income slowed right down. But that was fine because there was plenty of like opportunities for me to make money from Tom Nook, the CEO of Nook Incorporated, um, the corporation, the fictional corporation in the game that was responsible for you know, bringing people to the island, but then ultimately, and this is a dark heart of this cutesy game, commodifying and, you know, turning this beautiful island into just a money-making machine. And I got swept up in that machine and I think I'm still in it. Uh, So the game, when you first turn it on, it starts off with, you're just chilling in a tent on the island. But just like me and my modern consumer's tendencies, I wasn't happy enough with this simple life. I wanted more. So when in the game, Tom Nook, who is an anthropomorphized um, tanuki, like a raccoon dog. So he's really cute and that kind of part of his, his charm. When he comes up to you and says, hey, do you want a house? Do you want a house? Instead of living in that shitty tent. I went, yeah, I'd love to get on the property ladder. And he built me a house in 24 hours. Uh, and then when I went to him to thank him, he's like, oh, that's fine. That's fine. That'll be 98,000 bells.
0: And do you? So, are you in debt from the beginning? Then you're, you're sort of. You're in debt quiet. from the
1: beginning. You start off this video game as an indentured servant, but you don't feel that way because you're a cute little character, and like he's a raccoon dog talking to you. This is the subprime um,
0: mortgage crisis all over again.
1: That's exactly. You, you didn't it. have the collateral <laughs> for that loan. I didn't have the collateral, but he built me a fucking <laughs> nice house, um, and then you start about like trying to repay him, trying to like cr- crawl back out of the red. But next thing you know, like, he's like, oh, you want an extension on that? And of course I want an extension because I've, meanwhile, I've been like gathering cool skateboards and fountains and like other cool shit. Um, And he he says, okay, I'll give you an extension. And then all of a sudden it's like 168,000 bells and you're just constantly living in this cycle where you're doing work for, for Tom Nook and Nook Incorporated. uh, But you're never actually like getting your, you're, you're never getting any better the money, and that's another thing to say, the bells, the currency that exists in this game, they're not really even currency. It's a thing called, have you ever heard of company script? No. It's like, it's oh, a like d- company town thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so right, it's right. like, okay, it, yeah, yeah. so it's instead of, you know, government, Disney dollars, legal tender. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like Disney dollars. So it's fake money created by a company that can, is only redeemable at businesses owned by that employer. Right. And so this was big, like in the nineteenth century, in like mining towns yeah. and logging villages that were really remote, that were just completely controlled by this by a corporation. And it's just a way of keeping your your staff indentured and in this cycle of poverty where they are cannot they cannot escape and they're constantly having to be productive for you to generate you know um, output
0: for you. And that was me. I was stuck in that with a raccoon dog. This is much darker than I I haven't played Animal Crossing, but this is is there is there a point where. You meet some of the other workers in the the village tavern, and you start talking about maybe throwing off the shackles and how uh, no, Mr. because Nook everything be is controlled
1: by Nook. Like everything is controlled, like his. You got you earn your money. He gives you, you the phone. F- he gives you everything. Everything you go. You want to buy something. You go into a shop, and there's two tiny Tanukis. They're his fucking nephews, <laughs> and they follow you around the shop. And if you buy something, that's going straight into the pocket of Tom Nook. Mm-hmm. And then also that's not even getting into the stock market that's spelled S T A L K stock market where you buy wow. turnips and they're like a commodity that, that um, fluctuate in value over the course of a week. And you have a week to, you buy them at a certain price and you have a week to then sell them at a, at a, at a, at, at, before they rot, they rot if you keep them <laughs> for for a full week. And, uh, but so you, I've lost so much money on the stock market in that game. <laughs> Uh, but and, something about like this is just... relaxing
0: and enjoyable and got you through COVID or, or have you... It was once upon a time, but
1: now it gives me heart palpitations. Right, right. I haven't opened that game in a long time just because it's a, it's a capitalist hellscape.
0: Maybe there's, there's a DLC coming where, you know, the, there is the revolution and you do get to then, you know, make some difficult choices and it becomes much more this war of mine as you have to struggle with your comrades to overthrow the Nook empire. <laughs> so, Potentially. Hopefully but so. like,
1: just Just like... You know, capitalism itself. The the there are lovely moments where the people do kind of plug in the gaps that the system won't fill themselves. So there are lovely stories online of you know strangers coming to visit the island and just gifting them gold and fruit and that kind of thing, and like coming together and ha- wedding ceremonies and graduation ceremonies being held in Animal Crossing when people couldn't meet up in real life. So there is like a wholesome yeah. end to it, and there is also uh um Alexandria Ocasio Cortez did like some campaigning virtually. In Animal Crossing, she would go around to constituents' virtual islands and go and have a chat with them and give them good. She gifts is so good at
0: this. If I saw she was playing Among Us the other day on a, a yeah. Twitch stream, yeah. I mean she's yeah, she's down with the kids there all over the place. Phenomenal. Yeah. And you could get uh biden harris
1: campaign like officially approved campaign picket sign so you could stick up outside your house so there is like people have been using it politically now for the last year and the trump campaign when asked were they going to do something similar said no we're going to campaign in the real world and you know what they lost (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah that's why they lost yeah they didn't get the animal crossing vote (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's I, mean, I had no idea there was that that kind of weird undercurrent to it at all. I, I played um Stardew Valley which I know it got compared to which uh doesn't have that no not yeah, the same. that element at not all actually. Yeah, just not the same like weird economy to that game. I like in the growing and selling stuff later. in the local village but but none of the like you're constantly in debt and service to somebody yeah. that's yeah. Oddly dark. It's just
1: it's it echoes such like like horrific things from history where mm-hmm. you would you know tra- like a company would sponsor you to travel to America say but then you're indentured to them and then you end up like living out your whole life just working for you they- it has echoes of that hmm.
2: Stardew Valley is much more like Walden where you are actually getting away from it you feel more like you're actually in control of your own lot yeah. as opposed to being under the thumb of the raccoon dog in Animal Crossing that's mm-hmm. that's amazing well that's yeah. Nintendo
1: anyway
0: um,
2: that's
1: my rant done. if you guys want to talk about your stuff I'll just like oh, have a nap oh yeah <laughs> Sid Mears Alpha
2: Centauri 1999 I know yeah <laughs>
1: So well, you, it guys to, you guys want to do a whole episode about this game? This game is yeah. so, it's, it's,
0: yeah. I, I mean, partly I, 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 was, I was thinking about this recently and I mean, I wonder whether part of this is just that there's a particular age at which you first start forming your view of the world and your kind of ideologies and your, your understanding of the way in which factions of society relate to one another. And for me, and possibly for Steve, though he's younger than me, maybe this game just happened at the same period of intellectual development. And so it seems much more concretely connected to that. But I just think it is a brilliant example of uh, a way of describing those kind of ideology-based factions that are still very identifiable in the modern world, but are you know fictionalised and taken to slight but not huge... Uh, you know, absurdity in this as well you know so there, it's it mirrors a lot of real politics it mirrors a lot of of um ideologically driven uh war and alliance and stuff like that and it's just it's a yeah it's a great game
1: so give me i, I haven't i know nothing of this game aside from the fact that you guys squee over it in the in our group WhatsApp <laughs> thread and i like kind of tuned it out a little bit uh, so like sell me on it as a, like if you know as a, as a complete noob so it's just a gaming parlance
2: it is created by the same person who created Civilization. It mm-hmm. also has his name, Sidmir on it. So if I'm, I'm sure you're more aware of Civilization being like a giant board game-esque thing where you kind of yeah. run like a historical nation or, or, or Civilization mm-hmm. through history. This is what happens when one of those Civilizations go into space mm-hmm. to colonize the next world. Cool. So, uh, so everyone's in the big, um, what do you call it, a colony ship on the way to Alpha Centauri, which is the closest star to our sun. Mm-hmm. And something happens along the way that scuppers the plan and everyone divides themselves into, se- is it seven factions?
0: I, I think it's it six seven. in the original, and then they, they added some more in the kind of DLCs and stuff later as well. So yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, they, they split up into factions and then explicitly in the opening thing, they say not based on race or nationality, but based on a vision for what the future should be. And then you shoot off and then you get to pick which one of them you want to be. So each of those different factions is based on, as Donald was saying, ideology, ideas of what of what is going to be best for humankind in the next world. And then you basically just play a big board game for ages. It's great.
1: Hmm. But, the, the, <laughs> but what, okay, why is this so strong politically comp- where other games that we've mentioned have failed?
0: I, ha- I haven't seen another game that does it as well in terms of the ideologies they choose and the sort of the believability of the kind of ethos that goes with each of the, the characters. So there's, you know, there's... You
2: may as well run through them.
0: Okay, well, I mean, there's, there's a few worth highlighting. I mean, the, the, the best one is that the arch villain for me, because I never played as its characters, is Sister Miriam. And Sister Miriam is, runs the the kind of like a fundamentalist, yeah, <laughs> fundamentalist religious faction. And so for them, they're anti-science and they're pro, uh, you know, like conservative religious uh, stuff. You know, Bible literalism, this kind of stuff in it. So there's a lot of quoting from the Bible and things like that in their in their videos and projects and things like that.
1: But they're on a they're on an expedition to space. I know that's what's they so Propelled
0: by science, but
2: she says that God gave us the next one. Exactly. I ah. mean.
0: It, and you know, again, look at look around us currently at the ludicrous discontinuity between the world we live in and how people find religion and superstition and everything. I mean, it's it's entirely believable that you would have crazy fundamentalist nuns running a faction in space. I don't I don't <laughs> see that as a problem at all. <laughs> but um, there's there's a, a hardcore capitalist one. So there's a, a, a Morgan, Morgan Industries, you know, the, the Morgan Industries guy, and he's you know his thing is just like full on libertarian capitalism. There's a very strong green person called Lady Deirdre Sky, which is very, uh, yeah, she's she's very like a new agey version of the green movement. It was written in the nineties, I guess, so it's it's kind of green plus hippie-ish kind of you know tree hugging kind of uh, green. Uh, there's the person I always played as and sought to become and literally did become a university lecturer because this there's the 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 yeah. academic faction who runs the <laughs> university, the university faction is run run by the the academic guy um and then there's a uh kind of the Spartans this this kind of highly militaristic group as well and um, there's more than that too, yeah they're, they're they're like they're they're identifiable things that you see in in not just political parties, but in the the kind of world around you in terms of how people self-identify with politics. And it's the kind of things that people do. You know, people might pick a party to represent themselves. They might say, you know, I'm I'm a labour person if they're in the UK, because that's all that's available to to label themselves with. But actually, fundamentally, it is much more about the things that this game chooses to use. When people think about their own politics, they are thinking about themselves being as, you know, very pro-science and academia, or very, you know, religiously oriented or whatever it is and sometimes you can map parties onto that and and some mix of them but often there's kind of core ideologies that drive people and i think this game does a really nice job of distilling a lot of those well of putting full well-developed kind of personalities on the the people within it and then also the the ai which you know again is it's fundamental i guess because it's written in the 90s but it's very good at making them behave as if they're the kind of person you expect so the Religious person is very annoying to you, in particular if you play the scientist. You know she has a particularly mm. strong dislike; is much more likely to invade your lands, etc. And so you get these kind of interesting interplays between them and, and stuff like that. That's again I haven't seen done very well, even in other Civ games that have been. You know we've had three more decades or whatever, or two more decades of Civ games since then. That haven't managed to get that same amount of realistic politics into it. I suppose
2: it's also we're pointing out as well that it's not black and white. You don't end up absolutely hating whatever character, like I'm actually thinking of the sister Miriam character. She gets, so as you're playing through the game and you discover more technologies, you get these great little videos Mm. showing you what the technology is doing as it's going on. And one of them obviously is AI and more AI. So the university guys, they're going to fully lean into AI. They've got no problem with giving, with working with the computers and let the computers take over. But as you're developing more AI projects, sister Miriam gets to point out the potential dangers of that, of like giving up too much to the machine. And all these things, and it's just like you're, you're like as you're watching, you're like that is interesting. That is, yeah, maybe not everything is as clear cut as I would
0: assume before.
2: Hmm. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, even though I never once played as her. A-
0: Oh, yeah, God, no. like My first goal is always get rid of Sister Miriam as quickly as possible. I mean, that's, but that's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> again, I'm sure there's someone listening to this whose, whose first goal is to get rid of the Zakharov, the, the academic guy, as soon as possible, and who loves Sister Miriam. And that's the beauty of the game. I'm I, like, I, you know, have grown up to be the guy I played in the game. I have friends who are, are you know, leading figures in the Green Party in Ireland who all played. Lady Deirdre Sky, they played the Green character, and so fully identified with her that you know it was it's part of their sense of identity and sense of politics at the same time when they were growing up too. And you know, I, I, there's other people I know who are staunchly libertarian who loved the Morgan, the, the kind of capitalist libertarian man. And so there's there's things that again I'm I, I don't know the degree to which that just happened for us to coincide with the time when you're you know in your teens and whatever and you're thinking about politics for the first time in a serious way and thinking about how you identify yourself and, you know, sometimes you map that onto great novels that you read or great films that you see. And so there's definitely a component of that, probably just that it was timing. But I do think it's, it's rare to see it so well set out in a game context like that, where, you know, I'm still delighted to play it two decades later. And I think it's, you know, it's it's really insightful.
2: Did you play it recently?
0: I did, yeah. I have it for the Mac. So you can get it from GOG.com, which has a lot of old games and, you you can, yeah. It's still, it's still available. I think it costs like a dollar or something if you get it from there. <laughs> and uh, it can't run full screen. I have a 27-inch iMac, which is very nice to use, but it, it can't run that big. It just doesn't it understand just the screen would ever be that big. So it just runs <laughs> a little square in the middle. But uh, yeah, it's 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 I, the core mechanics of the game are really good. And uh, I mean, you know, that's uh, I, I thought they'd do a, a, a revisit to it at some point. And there's a terribly disappointing thing a few years ago where... Um, Sid Meier's, at the studio that does all the Sid Meier's games, um, released a game called Civilization Beyond Earth, which was the exact same thing. So it was post the game of Civilization that you play, which is kind of the history of humanity on Earth. One of the, the endings in Civ always is get in a rocket and go to, you know, colonize somewhere else. And so they said, "Okay, we're going to do this, and it's going to be faction-based. And so you're going to get to pick your faction before you go." And I was like, "Finally, they're remaking Alpha Centauri. This is so exciting!" And it was utter shit. It was the, yeah. the factions they chose were just countries, so they abandoned the, what really made the other one work very well. And, and instead, you're kind of going as India or going as France or whatever, and the the ideologies were not the same. The, the yeah, a lot of, a lot of what made it great just just didn't work. And it surprised me that there hasn't been something else in that same space since. But um, Hopefully, there will
2: be. Both of you had experiences with an Age of Empires growing up as well, um, Richie. What was yours?
1: Well, if Animal Crossing taught me about the horrors of capitalism, Age of Empires taught me about the horrors of war. <laughs> uh, in a very specific, this story won't take long um, because so my <laughs> probably potentially my first ever video game experience was Age of Empires because mm. we had uh, a demo version of Age of Empires just from a disc that probably came with some cornflakes oh, there's, something There's like to me too.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm much yeah, older than you had, so maybe you had Age of Empires too because right? this, this is the same oh, yeah, thing. I
1: grew up in rural Kildare and it's just we were like always a little bit behind. Okay. Uh, well, you're from Leitrim so that's even further oh, back. See, that's what I was going to say. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you're still
1: in the Age of Empires. Of course, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, we I uh, we just had a demo version of Age of Empires on the computer and I remember launching it and it would start, you whatever, I I haven't gone back to it since so I don't know but the level it started you in you had like a fully formed um like roman city town area Mm -hmm. with walls and defense and, and farms farmland on the outside that kind of thing and I when I first booted up thought this is so cool I've got my own little town all my own little dudes are walking around everyone's really happy and there was like the farmlands and the mining area and I was just basically treating Age of Empires like a farm sim and a mining sim Mm. Just gathering gold, watching the gold go up and gathering all my f- my food resources and watching that go up. And, and I was, all my guys were blue. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, a bunch of red guys showed up and burned my farms to the ground. And I didn't know this was a thing that would happen in the game. Oh, this <laughs> is devastating. I didn't, and I didn't know how to fight back. Mm. So the guy, the characters I had that were in that area started fighting, like my little farmers started fighting back, but they were like literally fighting against catapults and elephants and stuff. Um, And so they burned down, they lost and their farms burnt down and uh, they raided like the outskirts before retreating. And just, I was so upset that all my farms, the one part of the game that I really cared about were all burned up and gone. And then I gradually learned more about the game and said, right, I'll going to, these are my like bowmen, these are my swordsmen, blah, blah, blah. And I trained them up and I said, right, I'm going to go back the way those invaders came. And find out where they live, and I did that, and I've got to their area. But they also had farmland on the outskirts. So then my guy started killing their farmers, and <laughs> I was in that moment I was like, "Oh man, violence begets violence."
0: Mm-hmm. For tat <laughs> killings. What What age were you when this happened? I mean, this mid-twenties. <laughs> <laughs> this is it's, it's quite a naive view that you would just fire up the game and, and think it was a farm simulator. So I'm just I'm assuming... Ah, age friendly. of
2: Farm Empires. You're yes.
0: I, <laughs> no, I was probably like eight or so. Okay, that makes I much think. more sense. Like it, it,
1: we had it on like at our Windows 98 computer, so... Okay. That tracks.
0: The same thing was happening to me. It was just like I was eight or nine years older than you, so I was playing it as a late teenager. It was, I think Age of Empires came out in the same year as my leaving cert, and I had a substantial drop from the points I got in my mocks to the points I got in the actual leaving <laughs> search, which is entirely based on playing the Byzantines in Age of Empires. So. Uh Worth it. Of course, I saw, you played the
2: Byzantines. Of course, of course you well, played the Byzantines.
0: They had those great cataphracts. They were very good at just mowing down things. I, I was a big fan of those. It, it was a great game. I don't think the politics were particularly good in it. I don't think it had anything other than build a big army and kick the shit out of everybody else in the same way that mm. StarCraft and the various other kind of RTS games like that do.
2: Or serious issues, I guess, um, mm. trans issues, and this is actually a big thing at the moment with the release of Cyberpunk. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. When we were prepping for this, we talked a bit about how video games can be really good escapes. Obviously, mm. <laughs> we've talked about that a good and a lot of people with um like perhaps i guess identity or or trans issues that are growing up could be using video games like the sims or mm-hmm. god knows what to try and live life outside of what they do on a normal day-to-day basis and it's been quite successful in that but then other games have charged into it very clunkily and not done it so yeah, well
0: yeah. Mm. there's all I, I, like there's an interesting thing about just like I have several colleagues who study um, gender and sexuality in media generally. And so, I mean, this occurs in film and television and everything else too, but there is a thing about what you choose to represent, what gets the space to be represented at all in the first place, like who gets to be in the in-group that they're actually shown. And, you know, that's, it was huge around gender. It was huge around people of color, you know, taking lead roles in games and stuff like that. And yeah, as you say, more recently, Um, trans identity and things like that has has kind of come into it as well. There was a a very famous example that actually a student of mine wrote a thesis about a few years ago uh, on the game Overwatch, which is a very just, you know, shooty first person shooter game that I think Blizzard produced because they announced that one of the kind of widely played characters in it was an LGBT character. I think she was a lesbian. Tracer. Tracer. Yeah. And uh, it was, you know, it it was completely incidental. It made no difference to the, the the mm. story or the, you know, because I mean, her bombs, story to it. her
2: bombs were gay after that.
0: Yeah, but, but it, it's it, does, it, it said like, this is a thing, you are represented in this game and that's, that, there's a mm. big part of that. I mean, as a, as a gay man who grew up in the 90s and saw very few representations of gay men that were not horrific cartoons in sitcoms, you know, seeing people in these various things is very powerful and I think it's really important in gaming. But as you say, there's there's fairly heavy-handed versions of it too that I think are, are counterproductive and there's, there's things that I, I find slightly worrying. There's, there was a very famous example recently that you might have heard of with um, the most recent Call of Duty Black Ops, which again, I, I'm rubbish at shooting games so I've not played, but um, it's, a, it's a game where you're playing um, in that kind of Iran-Contra period of the US. So when Ronald Reagan was president, when he was kind of, you know, supporting rebels in, in Nicaragua, this kind of thing, and you're playing for a Black Ops team. So sort of an illegal force, basically, essentially committing war crimes. And you know, whatever in, in Reagan's name, but you get to choose at the beginning of this to be non-binary and to have non-binary pronouns used. And it's a really odd case because you, you have this situation in which you, you know, it, great that that representation is there, but then ludicrous that that representation is being back inserted into the you mm-hmm. know political regime of Ronald Reagan, who has just the absolute fucking worst record on LGBT issues. You know, the, the handling of the AIDS crisis, all of the sort of stuff. The idea of, of non-binary sexuality and identity was not a thing in, in that period anyway, um, and so it's it's you know I, I'm I think it's really powerful to have representation, but I think I, I worry that it, when you put it reinsert it into a historical context like that, and that might be the only information some people have about Reagan and who he was and what that period was. That you 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 know it, it, there's a distortion there that in that particular case is problematic, and a lot of people found that that discontinuity between you know Ronald Reagan and everything he represented, and him using the correct pronouns of your choice for you, you just you know, too big to get past. And I, I can kind of see where that's coming from. I think there's, if representation matters enough that that you want the identity shown, it should also matter that you represent aspects of history correctly. And you know, so there's yeah. definitely a problem there with that, that particular overlap. But on the uh, whole, the trend is good, and I think that the fact of being able to see something of yourself in whatever component of your identity whether it is your 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 race or your gender or your, your other things it is powerful to have that it, it makes you feel less outside of you know the mainstream media you, you you interact with and i think that's great i think uh speaking
1: of that kind of dissonance when dealing with like trans issues I put cyberpunk down the notes cause it's, mm. it's very topical right now. Um, it's a game that's been in development for a long, 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 like long time, like mm. eight years, I think ago was when they first announced it. And, um, uh, it's, it's an RPG and RPGs uh, had played like a big role, I think in trans identity in the modern age, because mm. it was a, it was an art form that allowed you to like in an RPG, it stands for role playing game to build a character that best represents you. Yeah. Um, which you can see why that would be a powerful, a powerful thing in in, in that context. Um, and cyberpunk, which is, as you can imagine, like a cyberpunk vision of the future set in the year 2077, like a dystopian neo drench neon-drenched future, um, which its selling point was all about full customization and mm-hmm. everything you do matters. And it says, you know, every decision you make, every identity choice you make has implications for the narrative and how you play the game. And there's a, but it was criticized from a trans um Perspective in terms of the how the RPG mechanics were built in, but then also like narratively how it was representing trans people. So you could, uh, you can, like, you can. There's a part in the set where you're building your character, you know, you pick your eye color, your hair color, your face color, that kind of thing. There's a part where you can customize your genitals, and you've got like three different penises to choose from. I think three it's different amazing. It's,
0: uh, yeah, I, I saw some footage of this the other day that this is. Mm. part of, of your character customization. Eh?
1: And yeah, and you can pick, you know, your different penis, your vagina, however. And <laughs> did, then you you see also... the, did you see the bugs where they stick out of the clothes? <laughs> I did, yes. that's, that's not a bug. That's artistic intent. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but, uh, and, but, uh, which is but aside from that, which is great is that you can pick whatever your genitals are, but then you can, um, pick how you identify separately. So you can mm-hmm. be a guy with female genitalia or vice versa and mm. um, which is great and that like opens up this huge broad spectrum of identification that isn't really available in other uh, video- other RPGs um, with similar mechanics, but then when you get into the game itself, how they're representing trans people—it's not as nuanced as cis people. And there's lots of examples. And this was involved in the marketing, and I, I can include links to show notes. Polygon wrote a great article on it. Mm. Um, there's images of trans people depicted in advertising in the game, and they're highly sexualized. It's a gag. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah it's like a goof almost. Mm. And then any and then the trans characters that you interact with are a lot more surface level and don't have a lot of the same nuance of the cis character get and again it speaks to this dissonance of there's you know you are you you are halfway there with the mechanics of how you're actually playing the character but then you're not it's not in the dna then of the story itself yeah. it sounds like there's a little you, bit of you can see how
0: that was again because it was publicized somewhat in advance as well how people would have built up their expectations hugely going into it and then possibly been very disappointed by those aspects of the story having got into it i'm i'm mm. That is my, my plan to spend my Christmas break. It's largely going to be walking around Night City in the, the yeah. game world of, of Cyberpunk. I'm dying to play it because I, I thought their, their previous titles like The Witcher 3 and stuff were, were brilliant, Um, but I, I haven't got around to, to playing it yet. But I'll, I'll I'll certainly toil over the penis size slider for a long time, making sure that I make the right <laughs> decision there so that it doesn't quite poke out at the I pants. I think you should live well. stream it and start a poll. <laughs> It is. It's. It's so interesting to see to to, to see that big part of the. I, I I find it amazing that that they allowed that kind of level of customization and and you know it it, it seems trivial and it seems silly and of course that bug made it ludicrously ridiculous, but it is you know viscerally powerful for lots of people for for that to happen you know yeah. just as it is the first time you know there were black protagonists in games and the first time that there was you know female led games and stuff like that and I think the more of this that we see the better it's going to take a while to get right and i but I'm glad yeah. to see those steps moving in that direction there
2: I'm going to close on a very important question do you remember when charlie brooker did the top 50 video games of all time on channel 4
0: Oh, I didn't see this. I'm a big fan of Charlie Brooker, I didn't know he did this. Mm. I'm dying to hear what the yeah, top was. Yeah, it was artwork. a special. I watched it. Well,
2: the you know, the, all the normal games going up, blah, 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 Mario and all on the top mm. and best strategy games, best RPGs. Number 1, and this is going to be important for you Donald of course because you are a doctor of Twitter.
0: Mm-hmm. Was Twitter he, is twitter a video game it, uh, no in what way did he <laughs> write that a video game? was it was this in the early days when things were confused i don't
2: i guess it was like 2014 or so he was um, seven
0: years old at that point that's that's strange and why just yeah. because it is it, it gamifies communication is, is, is he was making something i guess that was his point yeah okay that's thanks charlie but no (laughs) that was my reaction yeah i (laughs) I was really disappointed yeah that's i I don't think it's it's remotely i mean unfortunately there are people who certainly use it to entertain themselves in a gamified way and that they you know troll as much as many people as they can and i'm sure probably you know have some sort of reward mechanism that's similar to gaming but no i don't think there's remotely a a case for that
1: i have a different ending for the episode uh Donal, I have crafted in my mind. A Eurovision quiz? No, because that's the thing, inspired by the Eurovision <laughs> quiz that we usually do. I yeah. wanted to end on something novel, on. but I have been crafting in my mind, obsessing in the 5 minutes prior to this recording, um trying to build a game for Donal. Mm-hmm. Uh, a perfect game for Dodal. And I've crafted two and I want you to pick and I want it based on the merits and what you think
0: um, the world needs. Will it most. go into development? Is this like a thing where when I pick this a few weeks later, it gets delivered and. Yeah, sure. Great. Murder. Good. i look forward to that. Uh, so the,
1: <laughs> the first one is Murder, She Wrote, colon, the game. <laughs>
0: I haven't heard of so you wrote the board a, game already, so I mean, yeah. It's, oh, it's well, out strap in, of, Yeah. VR, I presume, where, I, where you're... Where you're uh, like, yes, <laughs> of course it's virtual reality. You feel and like you're really reality. right there
1: at the typewriter? Yes, typing. You can, The haptics, you can feel every yeah. keystroke. Watch well, she M-U-R-D-E-R, oh, I can't help it. Do you get to design her genitals at the start? <laughs> That goes without saying. Okay, yeah, of course. <laughs> thank you. Uh, Angela Lansbury uh, is very much involved in the in the production of this game and mm-hmm. that was a mandate from her. Uh, so it's a, it's a VR narrative focused murder mystery style game <laughs> where you play as Jessica Fletcher. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. You must use all of your skills as an unassuming retired English teacher mm-hmm. to solve a series of murders in Cav- in Cabot Cove. Yeah. Um, bonus DLC where you get to play as Magnum PI because I'm sure as you know there was a crossover episode.
0: Really good episode, Yes. Yeah. So, yeah
1: yeah so that comes later on where i think you know it's not a straight shooter up but it's like more of a detective thing mm-hmm. um so that's it so it's like a, it's an unassuming but very quaint but at the same like all of the like wonder and majesty of angela lansbury in that series just captured in virtual reality that's one. second vi- second game is eurovision colon at home colon the game <laughs>
0: What's the at home so, part? Okay,
1: this is very exciting. Go on. So, the, uh, wait for it. Mm. Uh, so, it's a fully immersive RPG slash motion tracked performance experience. <laughs> so, you build your character, their look, their whole aesthetic, their hair, mm-hmm. what, their, what their thing is, um, their backstory, like what's their motivations, What, where did they come from, um, their stage choreography, everything, every minute little detail that goes into making your vision your vision, you control. Um, you perform through a series of qualifying rounds. So whatever the, the national qualifiers are for each country, whichever country you pick, you go through those rounds mm-hmm. before competing in the grand finale. Uh, you use a, we'll use a combination of dance mats. Remember those old like dance dance evolution <laughs> uh, inputs, yeah. uh, karaoke mics, mm-hmm. motion tracking from like Xbox Connect style things to ensure complete immersive experience. Uh, I'm also thinking there's Auxiliary inputs in terms like you can get, you can make it a couch co-op thing with your friends. Someone comes over if they're if they're good with music, they can help produce the track with a MIDI keyboard. You have someone if they're good at like managerial stuff,
0: can handle see the logistics that's that's and the production. part I would play. Uh, it, I'm I, I'm Eurovision I was, manager.
2: I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I was just
0: gonna say I I, I had never understood growing up. Lots of lots of friends of mine in school played like football manager the game, and it's like I can't understand why people like this. But if there was Eurovision stage manager the game. I would get nothing else done. I would just be constantly producing Eurovision stage.
1: The motivation for this game is like your Eurovision parties. How can we like make this a central point at Mm -hmm. your Eurovision parties where there's like a performer, there's a manager, there's a choreographer, there's all these things are gamified. And immersive.
0: Collaborating together on their various machines. Yes. That's great. Yeah, there, there's a lot you to can, that. That's, that's a good game. It should open with like a
2: Crusader Kings map and you get to choose which country you want to start as. So like you can get Mongolia into the Eurovision by working really hard.
0: Mm. No, so, the, the old so right will just auction- take it over. We can't risk that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> just like the real Eurovision. Awful.
1: Um, so Donald, your choices are Murder, She Wrote, colon, The Game or Eurovision, colon, At Home, colon, The Game. It's, it's, this
0: is my selfie's choice. Um, I, I actually, though it is part of my my, my DNA, uh, uh, and I love Eurovision. I would go with the first one. I would go with the Angela Lansbury one because uh, I I have played several of those kind of murder mystery games. Like there's a genre of of computer games that are murder mystery games, and they're shit. They are almost always. Find the hidden thing in the room games, but they're just called murder mystery games. Like there's, there's none that actually have the the feeling of reading a good murder mystery novel or watching an episode of okay quotation marks murder she wrote for me. Like, but even that, like yeah, exactly. Like but that. I
1: think we lean into where murder she wrote colon the game. Mm-hmm. I think you lean into it, like you are playing as. Jessica Fletcher and you're leaning idea. into like the unassuming, oh, I'm like, I'm a retired like English teacher. You're using those mm-hmm. strengths to like get into places that your big burly
0: detectives would. This is part of my, my just huge amount of secret shame that I seem to unleash by this podcast. And now I know I'm going to get tweets about this too. But uh, when I was in college and was, you know, had the DCU Murder, She Wrote Society that I did when I was there, <laughs> uh, I also wrote... A full treatment and script for Murder She Wrote a musical called Murder She Sang. <laughs> So I have that ready to go if, you know, Angela Lansbury or her studio are listening to this, please get in touch. Oh I have that uh, just available. We have got, got to it.
2: get in contact with Gary and get a copy of that and get it on the site. <laughs> oh so my
0: God, yeah, that's so, brilliant. I mean, so for that to also be a, a computer game, I mean, you know, that's just taking it to the next level, you know, so I like...
1: Oh not do Donald, if fucking Only Fools and Horses can get a
0: musical, Murder, She Wrote again. Oh, exactly. Can get a musical. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's, if I say so myself, a very good musical. Uh, I haven't written any music for it and can't because I'm musically shit. But quite a good story. Lots, lots of nice ideas there. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll send it on to you at some time that we're much drunker than I currently am. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I want to see. I want to see the world of murder she wrote uh, expand. So I would have to throw my, my decision on well, that one. And thank you. What a, what a good. I'll combo. get my
1: people on it. Please, yeah. I'll get my people on it. We're going to engage in crunch almost immediately. <laughs>
0: Is that it, Steve? Yeah, well, I think we've covered the whole world of video games and any connection they have to politics there. So we're, we're in the clear. This is basically perfect. from Super Marxism 64 to Murder,
1: She Wrote, yeah. Colon, the game the whole spectrum has been complete uh, follow us at What on, politics on Instagram and on Twitter whatonpolitics at gmail.com whatonpolitics.com Donald really do you want to shout out your Twitter it's at doing.
0: Donald Mulligan and tweet me if you have good recommendations for games because uh, I'm always eager to try new ones especially if they're good murder mystery games because as I said they've been universally shit so far so if you have played one and it's exactly. good at Donald Mulligan please let me know thank you
1: and also at Donald Mulligan would like recommendations for how he should customise his penis in Cyberpunk 2077 or his mm-hmm. vagina whatever way he's gonna Go with it. Visual aids are a must. Thank you. Uh, so, <laughs> and on that note, Donald, thank you so so much.
0: I think it's always a pleasure, and delight has been to a pleasure you. as always.
1: And uh, Steve, do you want to end as we say every week? <laughs> oh, I
2: have to do it now. Murder she wrote. You have to come up. And... <laughs> Donald, never. This is the end of the episode. That's how we end the ball. Murder <laughs> she wrote. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh thanks um thank you This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network